If you have your Bible, you can make your way to Ephesians, I mean Galatians, sorry. That was last series, my bad. Um, Galatians chapter 2, there we go. We find ourselves starting chapter 2 in Galatians, uh, this series that we've entitled Centered, because through our study of Galatians, it's going to take us all the way up until um, March, is we, we find who we are because we find that at the center of who we are is, is Christ and what he's done for us, that we don't need to add things to the gospel. We don't need to take things away. We simply need the truth of the gospel and, and understanding that at the center of who we are, we find Christ and our identity rests in him alone. And, and really that's what, what Paul was talking about here to the Galatians. And I like this series in where we are as a church because it's very similar. The, the, the life of the church in Galatia was very similar to ours as a younger church that he had left recently. So a lot of what he warns them that's happening is what we need to be on the lookout for happening to us as you start a new work. So today we find ourselves Galatians 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. So if you will, follow along Um, in Galatians 2. Paul says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And then James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. If y'all will pray with me, we'll ask the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father God, we, we come and we just pray that, that right now your Spirit would give us understanding, God, that we would rest on your, your Spirit's influence and, and seeing your truth, God, that, that we wouldn't twist it and change it to where it's comfortable for us, but we would discern through your spirit what the truth is. God, we just acknowledge again that we are incapable of finding your truth without changing it for ourselves, God, and we just pray now that your spirit would guide us through this, that, that what you have for us would be revealed to us and that our lives would be different because of it. And so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what we see in this passage as we're continuing through this, Paul in chapter 1 has given us his authority, who he was as a minister, as an apostle. He was saying that I have this authority, it's given to me by God, it's not from man. I have this message, it was given to me by God, not from man. And so now 
what he's doing then is he's giving us this story of him when he first goes back to Jerusalem. The, the, the theologians and, and professors and all this are, are kind of split on when this happened. There's a Jerusalem council that we read about in Acts, and there, there, there's some that think that this is the same thing, that this is what happened in Acts, that this is Paul's version versus Luke's in Acts, and there's some that are, this is different. It really doesn't matter. We don't have to land on a camp today because it doesn't change what happens. It's just either happened twice or it happened once. And so what we see as, as Paul's talking about his time there in Jerusalem was that the freedom that we have in the gospel was at stake. That we have this gospel-centered unity that's given to us by the freedom that we have in the gospel. And that freedom is what was at stake. And we understand that freedom is very difficult to gain. We see that politically, that, that people struggle for freedom around the world, that, that it's not something easily won, yet it's something that's easily taken away. And so when we see this passage, we see that, that Paul is giving us again this reassurance that there's freedom in the gospel, not adding something to it, not taking away, but this gospel that, that emphasizes the free grace of God to those who are, are rebels at heart that are dead in their trespasses and sin, in that we find freedom. And he's stressing that, and he shows how the freedom was at stake. This is a critical moment in the church. It was a critical moment, because what happens here in this interaction would greatly determine the trajectory of the church. And so we see here that, that freedom at the heart of the gospel unites all of us that are in Christ. This freedom unites all of us who are in Christ, and, and that freedom is the basis of our unity that freedom also gives us the, the proof of our unity, and then ultimately it's the expression of that unity as well. Everything is based on freedom. John Stott said about this that behind them was the fundamental question. Would the liberty with which Christ had made us free be maintained, or would the church be condemned to bondage and sterility? So are we going to keep the liberty and freedom that Christ gave us? Or are we going to come back into this bondage because we're adding things to the gospel? We're adding requirements to that. And that's the question that, that we look at today. And we see as Paul starts that, that freedom is the basis of our unity. In verse 1 and 2 it says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went because of a revelation set before them. And set before them, though privately to those who seemed influential. We'll talk about that little section here in a second. It says, In the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And really, that's the first question that we need to consider is what does, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain, mean? Because if we don't understand that correctly, then that, that shifts how we see everything else. And why would Paul have been running in vain? We see in chapter 1, the whole time, it's, he's got God commissioning him. God is sending him out. gives him a message. So what does it mean if he's running in vain? If Paul's worried about his ministry have been in vain, what does that mean? Because it's critical to understand that. He's now 14 years into his ministry. He's been preaching this whole time. So for Paul to be worried about running in vain, it's critical that we understand why he thought that. But one thing we can be sure is that it cannot mean that he was making sure his gospel was correct. It can't mean that he's going to the apostles in Jerusalem to define if, if his message is correct. It can't mean that. 
because then that takes all the credibility he just built in the first chapter. People were challenging his authority by saying that he was an apostle. So if we see Paul then going to the apostles to make sure his message is correct, then all of a sudden he's not truly authoritative as he's claimed. So it cannot mean that. We cannot mean that. And we, we see that in the context of Galatians 1. In 1.1 1, 1 it says that he's an apostle not from man nor through man. In Galatians 1.8 it says, I preach to you a gospel. If you preach a gospel contrary to the one that we preach, you should be accursed. In 1.10 he's not seeking the approval of man or God. In 1.11 it's the gospel that preached by me is not man's gospel. He didn't immediately consult with anyone. Yet he went away to Arabia. And then finally in, in, in Galatians 1, it says, I was still unknown to the person in person of the churches of Judea. They just had heard what he was doing. So this, we see this context that he was completely separated from these people that he's seeing now. And so if he was preaching that whole time and now he's wondering, he's coming and setting the gospel before them to see if he had run in vain, he's not checking to see if his message was correct. He's checking to see if their message was correct. He's seeing now, I'm not checking to make sure I'm correct because I know my calling. I'm not, I wasn't called by man. So what he's doing is he's going back to the apostles and he's checking their message against his. He's not going for permission. He's making sure that the messages are there and they're the same because if they were different, then his ministry wouldn't be in, would be in vain because there would be two different messages. And that's why this is a critical juncture in the early church, because if they don't agree on this, then we have two different gospels. So which one is the truth? Which one do you have to do? And it was, it was interesting to see this. And his whole concern was that the freedom, because what we have in the gospel is maintained, because that's what Paul's gospel was, is that we are saved by the actions of Christ, not by us. That it's a free grace offered. It's not you have to do something to gain his approval. It's that he chose you before the foundation of the earth. He called you to be his sons and daughters. And so if there was a different gospel being preached by those in Jerusalem, Paul says it wouldn't be a gospel at all. And then there's a problem. Then there's a problem. It's kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago where, we, where I'd seen the, the first graders doing the word game where one tells someone at the first and it passes down. That, that, that's kind of what we could see happening. Because at the end... The person at the end that gets that message that's nowhere near their initial message is always confused, right? The, the, you, you would see them like, why would you say that? It's like, well, I didn't say that. That's kind of what could be happening here is, is Paul's preaching something. We see in, at the end of Galatians 1 that the people had heard that he was preaching. So if they've heard that he was preaching, we can assume that they've heard his message. And so now he's preaching this faith that he once tried to destroy, but if that was two messages then the people that are hearing those are going to be confused. They're going to, why would you say this and they say this? You both claim to be apostles, or they are apostles. You claim to be one. What's, what's going on here? And Tim Keller tells us that that's why Paul said that the freedom we have in Christ was under threat. And therefore, the very truth of the gospel was at stake. If the freedom that we have in Christ is under threat, then the truth of the gospel is at stake. Because that's what's at the heart of the gospel that Paul preached, is that you're free. That's what he says later in Galatians. It's for freedom that you've been set free. The freedom of the gospel was on the table. And that's why it was critical that he go back, that he set forth. He's not asking for permission. He's checking them against his message. 
And we see that that's the basis of this unity. If we don't have the freedom at the heart of everything, then we don't have this unity that the church should have. We, we should grow and understand this gospel. We should always seek that gospel. And that's the easiest way to understand if, you're, if the gospel that you're hearing is changing, if you are always constantly growing in the knowledge and understanding of who Christ is, then you're gonna see when people start changing that gospel. So, so where is your growth coming from? Are you seeking an understanding of who Christ was is found in the scripture. Are you trying to gain this deepening knowledge of who he is so that you can see this freedom in the gospel more and more clearly? Because we're not finding ourselves going to the scripture. Where are we going for that growth? Maybe it's finding certain people or popular pastors that you, you find and you follow them and you supplement you doing the work of your spiritual growth with just hearing a bunch of other people. And we can't do that. If we're going to keep the freedom that we have in the gospel at the center of us, we have to do that. You have to do that. You can't rely simply on what we give you. You have to seek that. And if you've truly seen that, that's what you'll do. You'll see, I want to know him more. I want to gain the depth and understanding of that. And that's one way then you check what we or what I teach. See, I'm not exempt from this either. If we ever have this moment to where the gospel is being changed, then we're in trouble. And that includes myself as well. If we truly understand the freedom that we have in Christ, we need to continually grow and understand who he is because that's when we'll truly understand and grow in the knowledge of that freedom. The implications continually work itself out. It's the basis of our unity. It's what brings us together because we're all free in Christ. And we should seek to deepen in that understanding. Not simply say that I'm saved by grace and that's good. And I'm going to keep living my life. No, we should seek. That's what Paul prays for them in Ephesians. He says, I hope you gain this understanding and wisdom. That's what we should be doing. And we acknowledge that and we see that. We see that the freedom that's the basis of our unity also then becomes the proof of our unity. Because then if we have this freedom that, that is the basis of our unity, then all of a sudden that's gonna be the proof of our unity. Are we truly free? Are we truly seeing people for who they are? And that's what we get. The, probably the, the biggest thing that we see here, in verse three it says, but even Titus, was, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped away to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so they might bring us into slavery. He's talking there about those, we call them the Judaizers. They were trying to combine Jewish and Christianity, bring them together. They were saying, yes, it's by grace, but you have to do all the things of the law. And so he's saying that they're trying to take our freedom because they're trying to add stuff into the gospel. And he says that to them we did not yield in submission for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's not talking about the apostles that were trying to do this. He's talking about those that have come in. And, and, and we're not clear, was he talking about something that happened somewhere else? Or was it literally at this meeting that they were trying to sneak into the meetings and, and kind of start stuff up? We don't know. But what we see is that it was a big deal that Paul brought Titus with him. It was a huge thing to have a, a Greek believer. By having Titus present, Paul was forcing the issue of gospel freedom. Because as a Greek, he wasn't circumcised. And to the Jews, that meant he wasn't saved. So by having him there, 
He forced the issue. It's not just let's talk about it. It's almost as if he brought Titus with him. Prove it. It's like he's free. He's heard the gospel. Christ has redeemed him. But he's a Greek. Are they going to allow him to be that? Are they going to welcome him in as he is? Are they going to put stipulations on him? He wasn't merely concerned with talking about the freedom. He wanted a visual of that freedom. Let's prove it. And thankfully in verse 3 we see that he wasn't forced to be circumcised. So freedom was upheld there. Not that there was those trying to, to get it, but this was a huge thing. This was a culturally thing. We often, we often try to skip over this part because it's just odd if we're honest to talk about circumcision. We don't talk about that. But to the Jews, that was a huge cultural thing. Was, that was their identity. This was that external sign of the promise that had been made to Abraham that he was gonna save all people through his offspring. So to them, this wasn't just a thing that they did. This was their identity. And so we need to understand that magnitude. We need to understand that by them not allowing or not forcing Titus to be circumcised was huge. That was, that, that was the magnitude of the freedom of the gospel that Paul is talking about here. He laid it before them. And then there's a visual of that freedom being upheld. It was proof of the unity because they welcomed him in as a believer Though he wasn't circumcised, it was a huge deal. To them, we did not yield. Those that were challenging the freedom offered by the gospel, to them, they didn't yield. And so that's the same thing that we must do. We must remember that we are free, that, that you are free. You don't have to become someone special to join the group. It's not that you need to be someone perfect to join their club it's not change yourself so that you can be accepted it's you're accepted because christ died for you you don't have to observe the moral law you just have to trust god now that will change and and you will have those aspects of that but it's not the same when i was writing up my final outline yesterday i was it made me think of the dr seuss one the sneetches I don't know if you've heard that they have the stars on their belly. I'm not going to try to rhyme like Seuss, even though he makes up his own words. I think that's cheating. But um, anyone can rhyme if you can make up your own words, right? But, but the story is some of them have stars and some of them don't. The ones with stars were special they were, because they had a star. And, and so what happened is someone comes in and then he offers the ones without the star upon theirs, I think is what he says, $3 and he can add a star to you. So they go through the machine, they get a star. And then the cycle happens. Well, the ones that were originally star belly sneeches didn't like that because now they're not different. And so he offered them options. And so then in the book, you just see this constant cycle of removing and adding and removing and adding. And then at the end of the, the book, you see that no one remembered who they were. They didn't remember who had a star first and who didn't because they had changed so much. That's exactly what we need to be like in the gospel. It doesn't matter what you are prior to coming to faith in Christ because in Christ you're a new creation. You have to change who you are because we can't change who we are. Christ can. So you welcome everyone in because we have the freedom to do that. We don't have to change who we are. We don't have to put stipulations on who we are. That doesn't mean that we don't have standards, that we won't stand on the truth of the gospel. You still have to stand on the gospel, but you don't add stipulations and say, well, if you're not a certain 
professional level or if you don't make enough money or if you're different social status and you're not welcome. No, it's not that. It's do you believe in the truth of the gospel that is the free grace of God offered to those who are sinners? That's what, that's the thing that we stand on. We don't stand on what we look like, what we do as a profession. We're all sinners redeemed. So that's how we are at Watershed. Will there be membership? Yes. Because membership's more of a display of what we're gonna do for you instead of what you have to do for us. It's us acknowledging as a leadership to say this is what we're gonna do for you. Those that are in our flock, this is what it is. So will we have membership? Yes. Right now we ask that you partner with us as we develop that process, what that's gonna look like. And so as a partner now, when we develop this membership, we still ask that you love God. We still ask that you love others, that you give your resources. If you're partnering with us, if you're a member here at Watershed, we, we ask that you give resources. Why? So that we can proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. We don't ask for your resources just to have it. We ask for your resources to send it out. We already do that. We already support church planning and other efforts. We already give what we get. And we also ask that you would serve. Right now, you could be teaching. You can watch in the nursery. That might not be for you, but there's ways. You can help set up and tear down. That's easy. It's just plugging stuff in and out. The point is that you're committed, you're here, you're involved. And you don't have to be a certain person to do that. You have to be a sinner redeemed by the grace of God through his son, Jesus. And that is the proof of our unity. If we welcome everyone in, we proclaim the gospel and welcome everyone in. Our, our church should be as diverse as the community we're in, that we're in. And we need to, to continually get better at that and understand that. Not just diverse background, but truly diverse. Racially, ethnically, we should be diverse because all of God's people are called to him through the grace that we have and are given freedom. That's in the proof of that unity because we welcome everyone in. And then finally, we see that that freedom then becomes the expression of that unity. We see the expression when we look at the last part of this in, in verses six through the end. And from those who seem to be influential, and then what they are makes no difference to me. It's kind of funny that Paul, Paul always has that little, that little harshness to him. That here he's already said that those who seemed influential, now he's saying that, that those who were, I don't really care who they were. Makes no difference to me. God didn't show up because I don't care who they were. But what he, he's not saying that he doesn't care that they were apostles. He's putting himself on that. He's not intimidated that they were the apostles. It doesn't matter that they were the leaders of the church. And later the ones he mentions, James, Cephas, and John, those were like the three pillars he calls them. John, if you're reading in Acts, John really isn't heard much from after the Jerusalem council. You really don't hear, you have his writings, but he's really not mentioned. But Peter is hugely influential. His ministry to the Jews, that's is huge. We know a lot about Peter. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so what we see here happening is that this expression of unity comes not by who they were, but by the message that they proclaimed. And this is what he says, that they added nothing to him. They added nothing to me, which is this idea that my message was the exact same as theirs. They didn't change anything. It's a unified diversity because they were all different. Paul was different than they were, which is exactly what, this, what the church should, should be. 
And then they all have their own different ministries, their own commissions, just as we do as well. It's, it's critical that we hear the, the, that last part of verse 9. When he seemed, those pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they saw that God was active in his ministry. They acknowledged that, they understood that, then they did what? They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. The, he should go to the Gentiles, them to the Jews, the circumcised. That right hand of fellowship is critical because what they did in that, what that means, it's just like we would do. You're shaking someone's hand, you're, you're there. It's saying that we're the same. It was this symbol that we're the same. And so when he adds that, that they gave the right hand of fellowship to him, he's meaning that that right there was the decisive blow against the Judaizers. They were saying, no, there's no difference. And people still do that today. They'll say, well, here's what Paul says. We'll look at James. James teaches something different. He said, if you don't have works, that you don't have salvation. But right here, Paul's saying, no, they didn't add anything. They didn't add anything to his message. So what's, what's the deal? It's because the gospel presentation is different in different cultures. It's not that because Paul on one hand and James on the other is, is really the, the main one that we see today is different. It's a different expression of the same gospel, and we see that here. It's a diversity that's unified through the freedom and that expression of that unity is why we're powered by that freedom. The, expo- the, the apostles extended this to Paul and as such acknowledged his commission to the Gentiles that they were preaching the same thing. Again, Tim Keller says, the, meaning only happened, the meeting only happened because Paul was not willing to share the church with those who taught a different gospel. The relationship of cooperation between the apostles was based on a shared gospel truth. They weren't willing to share the church with someone preaching a different gospel. And so this level of cooperation we see here was based on that unified truth. It was the freedom that we see in the gospel that allows us to be the expression of unity. That's what we do. We seek to partner with those who are different than us. Different not in the truth of the gospel, different in what it looks like. We should always stand on the truth of the gospel. It's the first importance. But we should see ourselves looking to partner with other people. We plan to do that primarily through planting other churches in different contexts and different cultures because that's how we think the gospel is best proclaimed is by planting a church that is that expression. But the problem is we always expect people to be just like us, to partner with us. The easiest way you can see that is if you have kids is... Do you ever, do you, do you expect your kids to be just like you? A lot of times we do, right? And then there's moments when you're, you're parenting or something that you have this, something happen and you realize that they're nowhere near like you are. Yes, I, I do this, Keaton. I talk about Keaton and I a lot. We have a good relationship. He just is so different than me. A lot of times we butt heads. But yesterday we were, um, he was watching something on TV, and they were sitting at the at our, our at a bar on the on the bar stool watching. He kept messing with the TV. I'm like, just put the remote down, and he was kind of turned sideways, so he just dropped it on the floor. And I was like, that, I had that moment of, no, you didn't, right? But then what? I uh, luckily after I was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it was right there. But then I realized that he is very literal. I'm not so much. So when. He, he did put it down. I didn't tell him, put it down on the bar. He did what I told him to. So I can't be frustrated at him because he did what I told him to do. He, but I can't expect him to be just like me. 
I would like to think I would have put it down. Maybe I wouldn't and I just see myself differently now. But, but I can't expect him to be just like me. And we do that with people that we partner with all the time. We expect them to be just like us. We don't have to be the same to partner with people. We have to stand on the same gospel, the same truth that gives us the freedom to partner with anyone. Uh, maybe, maybe this will, will be better to understand this. Do you only talk to your neighbors that are like you? Do you only talk to your neighbors that are like you? And if you do, why? A lot of people are like, well, that's weird. Because think about it. When you're driving down your street, if you don't have neighbors right next to you, maybe there's some, some land between. But when you drive next to your neighbors, don't you always wonder what's happening at their house? I hope I'm not the only one that does that. I do. I drive by and I'm like, what's going on there, right? Maybe we should just ask them. Right? Maybe we should just be neighbors and ask them. Be curious in someone's life. Not curious to find out so you can talk about them. Curious to genuinely be interested in their life, even if they're different. Because what happens when you do that, you find that we're really not that different at all. Really not. Culturally, there's some differences, but we can learn from that. And it's actually cool to understand different cultures and and that draw that people have. We can't expect people to be just like us in a relational level and on, on a church level. We can't, you can't do that. The thing that brings us together is the, go- the gospel because it gives us freedom to be who we are because our identity is secure in that. We don't have to worry about culturally mandated ideas or ideology because the gospel changes that. We can be emotionally secure in who we are because we know we're secure in who Christ is at the center of who we are. And that goes back to that beginning question that John Stott said. Would the liberty with which the church had made us free be maintained? Or would the church be condemned to bondage and sterility? We can ask that of ourselves personally. Are we going to allow this freedom to be maintained that Christ has given us and we just accept those for who they are? We preach the gospel to those that don't know it. And those that understand the gospel, we welcome them in. We extend the right hand of fellowship. Or are we going to add stipulations to that? And as such, be brought back into slavery because we're adding things to it. Only when we partner with like-minded Christians will we see freedom maintained. Like-minded on the truth of the gospel. When we're united by the truth of the gospel, then the expression of that unity is a diverse body coming together to preach the gospel to those that haven't heard it. John Stott says this about the gospel. He says, The gospel has not changed with the changing centuries whether it's preached to young or old, to East or West, to Jews or Gentiles, to cultured or uncultured, to scientists or non-scientists, although the presentation may vary, its substance is the same. That's what we need to do here. Whether it's preached here on the edge of Copper's Cove or in Austin or in Dallas, New York, the presentation looks different. The message is the same. Its substance is the same. It's that God loved us so much that our salvation was more precious than his son because we know that because he gave us his son so that we could be adopted into his family, that we could be saved, that we can be brought to life from darkness to light. That's what the gospel is. It changes where it's presented because each culture is different. Each culture has its own set of idols that it places above God. And so the gospel pinpoints those idols and then shows how we find the true worship in Christ. 
And that's what we do as a church. We're unified because we have the freedom to be who we are because Christ is at the center of who we are. Let's pray.